So thankful for our time together today, church. Grab your Bibles with me and turn to the New Testament letter of 1 John. You'll find 1 John the very back of your Bible, just after 2 Peter and just before Jude and Revelation. We're in chapter 4 today. We turn a corner in this first letter of John and move into chapter 4. Today our focus is verse 1 through 3. Look at our text together with me. 1 John 4, 1 through 3. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this wonderful time to gather, to open your holy word. There's a lot of information and insight in the world that we value And yet nothing compares to what you have ordained to reveal to us in your written word. Thank you for persevering it for so long. Thank you for allowing us to have it in our language. I pray for those for whom translation is happening, for whom missions work unto new people groups is happening that it would be your holy will and empowered work and faithful brothers and sisters to translate your holy word into the language of many, many who will be our brothers and sisters in Christ forever. We rejoice this day at our opportunity to study it. We acknowledge that you are here. I pray that we would be here, that we'd be present and humble and ready to learn and grow, mature in faith and understanding, be prepared for the ministry you've called us to today, this week, if you so will it. We love you. We pray confidently because of Christ. Amen. 1 John 4.1 Beloved, do not believe every spirit. John makes another personal touch here as he moves into chapter 4 by addressing his readers as the beloved. All those whom God saves, all those who trust in Jesus as Savior and Lord, are the beloved of God. John did this in chapter 3, in his opening there, in that turn in the letter, John 3, 1 and verse 2. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, he says that we shall be called children of God, and so we are. Beloved, we are God's children now. It's so easy to fly past these little touches throughout God's Word, throughout these letters, and yet I pray that even this just first word ministers to your soul today in a way that you need it to. God loved us. With love so great, that he paid the ransom due our sin 
to purchase us out of slavery and death and into his beloved eternal family through the work, propitiation of his son, Jesus Christ. In this, he makes us his beloved kids. His beloved kids of grace. Church, the very essence of what it means to be a Christian is found in this term, to be his beloved. I pray that any part of your faith in Jesus or your devotion to obedience to God or your participation in Christ's church that has become religious routine, that that would be a thing of the past. Why? Because you finally climb into the beautiful fullness of what it means to be loved by God. To be a beloved child of God. Because it changes everything. Are, are, you, are you full of anxiety and worry and angst, even anger? Sometimes we just need to slow down and remember who we are in Christ. And be so thankful. And and that that reality in you would move you forward in a new way. John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit. But test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. John implores the beloved to not believe every spirit. The question that surely comes to mind quickly here is, who are the spirits he's referring to? Are we talking about supernatural? Is this Ghostbusters? What are we dealing with here, right? And that's a fair question. No, The spirits he's referring to are prophets. We know this because of the context of the passage. They are those who claim to speak truth. Why doesn't John just say prophet? Well, he does, and he has, and he will again. You'll see that even today. I'll get back to that in a moment. He speaks of them as a spirit because every prophet is a mouthpiece or a spokesperson for a spirit. Specifically, one or another. One is those who actually proclaim the truth, who are spokesmen for the Spirit of God, as he references them in verse 2 of our passage. And refers to God as the Spirit of Truth, in verse 6. But there's also those who lie and deceive and deny Christ's deity and gospel truth who represent a different spirit. What John calls in here in verse 3, the spirit of the Antichrist. Or in verse 6, the spirit of error. Church, to properly read God's Word, we must let Scripture interpret Scripture. And so when we look to the context of the verse and the passage and the letter in its entirety, we see that what John is referencing here when he says spirits is prophets. 
Hear it again. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, for many false prophets have gone out into the world. See it? The spirits are prophets. Prophets who represent a spirit. Some spirits are false, and some are true. John is referencing something I'm sorry, John is not referencing something not human. Okay, I want to be clear about that. Something mystical. He's referencing people who are spokesmen and the spirits they ultimately speak for. Look with me now at verse 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. The prophets referred to as spirits that do not confess Jesus are not from God. He says the testimony or teaching that denies Jesus as the Messiah and Lord is the spirit of the Antichrist. It's the work of the deceiver. Those, they are those who, who prove to be Antichrist. They prove to be Antichrist. He essentially says, you heard they were coming, and I'm here to tell you that they're here, and they're at work already. In case you weren't with us earlier in our study of John's letter, or to simply remind you who were, briefly of what John has said already about false prophets and the Antichrist, let me take you back for a moment. John's audience for this whole letter are Christians who are unsettled, who are being persecuted in their faith by those John calls Antichrist or false prophets. These were trying to manipulate or pervert the true gospel to pervert or lie about fundamental truths, Christian truths. Some of the core things that they were lying about were specifically linked to questioning Jesus' incarnation, that the eternal God the Son took on flesh, and questioning if he was the actual Christ, the actual Messiah. These false prophets claimed to know God, but their testimony was that they continued to walk in the darkness and not keep God's commandments, not walk in step with the gospel, and to bear bad fruit. Some of these so-called antichrist were individuals who were at one time even faithful members along with the local church, but proved in the end to not be saved, to not be submitted to Christ as Lord. They did church stuff, they did church things, but they weren't saved. 1 John 2.18 Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come, Therefore, we know it is the last hour. Our focus back in chapter 2. Here John speaks of the promise in the presence of people who are anti-Christ. What is an antichrist? An antichrist is an individual who is an adversary to Christ. Or falsely claims to be Christ himself. John has spoken of those who are full of deception and lies and are ultimately against Jesus all along the way in his letter, as he continues now even today in our passage. 
Another place we saw this was in 1 John chapter 2, verse 22. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist. He who denies the Father and the Son. Again, this is not John's first announcement of those who prove to be liars. He has said that already. They lied about having fellowship with God. We saw that in 1 John 1.16. They lied about not committing sins. They, they claimed they didn't commit any sins. We saw that in 1 John 1.8 and 10. They lied about living in God. They claimed to be living in God. We saw that in 1 John 2.6. They lied about being in the light when they weren't. 1 John 2.9. They lied about denying that Jesus is indeed the true Christ. 1 John 2.22. And in our passage today, John makes it clear they lie saying Christ was not eternal or from the beginning. Not the incarnated God the Son. They lie because they claim to be good with God. They claim to speak the truth. And yet Scripture is clear that you cannot be good with God and not have trusted yourself completely to Christ. Or to speak against the truths of God's word. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? The truth is, these antichrists are guilty of denying the truth that Jesus is indeed the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. The word anti in front of a name or a title can mean that that person is against something or that they try to claim that they are that thing. The simple reality is that there is little difference to the offense of a false Christ or someone against Christ. Both are opposed to the true Christ who is worthy to be praised. Right? While Jesus and the apostles talk about the Antichrist in Matthew 24, Mark 13, 2 Thessalonians 2, Revelation 12 and 13, as well as others, as well as any others who willingly stand against God and His people, you might be surprised to know that that term Antichrist is only used by John in his letters. The fact that Jesus and the apostles spoke of Antichrist is how John is able to say, as you have heard, as he writes to his audience of believers in that day. While there is surely reference within Scripture to an individual that serves Satan's corrupt and evil agenda, who will come against Christ in the last days, what John is referencing here are forerunners of the Antichrist, who have come to try to confuse, deceive, and draw disciples away. These are mere people who are sinfully corrupt, do not speak the truth, but they speak lies. Little deceptions, little mistruths to take you down a different path. These are people who indeed are against Christ in His supreme ways as they try to influence their own agendas, upon society and the church. Jesus is clear in Matthew 12, 30, whoever is not with me is against me. You either trust Jesus 
and you obey Jesus and belong to Jesus, or you are against Jesus. Understand there's no middle ground. To be anti-Christ, you don't have to be some kind of special demon or deranged person. No, you just have to be dead in sin and full of self-deception, which is the true reality of all who are not yet saved. The fact that some are deemed antichrist is less about the depth of their depravity and more about the reality of their activity. In other words, they prove to be active in revealing their deceived views or untruthful agenda in a way that they're exposed and revealed blatantly against Christ and His church. I ask each of you to do business with this sobering reality today. Do you belong to Jesus Christ? Or are you against or anti-Christ? I pray you see the gravity of what your answer means for your life and your eternity. The fact that those who stood against Christ were denying fundamental truths about Jesus makes them false teachers as they're promoting lies and deception and false understanding about who God is. Worse, it makes them heretics because their lies were about fundamental truths of God aimed to lead people astray from the true gospel and word of the Lord. In a moment, you will see in verse 2 that these antichrists, these false prophets, were denying the fundamental truth that Jesus is God the Son who took on flesh to save His people. The eternality of Jesus, that He has no beginning. The fact that He incarnated to be the promised Messiah of God, to substitute Himself in the place of His people for the forgiveness of sins. These are indeed fundamental truths. You cannot get wrong. Or or you speak heresy. Church, we must always be on guard for false teaching and heretical error as its aim is to lie about God and to lead others astray. Take a moment with me to firm up your understanding of the importance of heresy and the work of false teachers. Some definitions. A false teacher is a person who claims to teach the truth of God or represent Jesus or be good with Jesus, but teaches it falsely and twists the Scriptures with the aim of self-benefit or to lead others towards another gospel. Peter warns the Ephesian elders, Fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Acts 20, 29-30. 
Peter warns the elect exiles, the beloved in that time. Second Peter 2.1, false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. Jesus teaches stern warning as well. Matthew 7.15-20, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. What Peter and Jesus are doing in all these passages is to warn and widen the eyes of the beloved for the falsehood they are to watch out for. Not just those who are claiming new revelation as authoritative of God, but anyone who teaches falsely about God's word and ways. Because our temptation is to play nice with people like this. It's to fall off the fence and glad handle. Beloved, if, if the truths of God are being met, misrepresented, you're not loving anyone to get, draw close to those things, to play nice with them. These are stern warnings. And let me remind you this morning, this is not something out on the margins of spiritual life. Some of you think that. You think that these things are, are out there. False teaching and heresy is like something that's only for the shepherds to deal with. No, false teaching... And heresy is likely something that you've been exposed to more regularly than you've known. Some of you even brought up in it, in the quote-unquote churches you've been a part of, or families you grew up in, or people you were exposed to. It's all around. And as we see... Today, in the scriptures I just read, it's often brought up in scripture. God's word is often to to be clear, to warn us to be alert and on guard for the destructive deception that comes with false teaching. Again, listen to John's words in verse 3 of our passage. 1 John 4, 3. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. John's emphasis on their confession that Jesus is not from God is to highlight their heresy. Peter used that word in his warning that I just read, 2 Peter 2.1. Let me read it again. False prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them. There it is, bringing up themselves swift destruction. Peter says destructive heresies. The King James translation is damnable heresies. No doubt heresy is something to take very serious, 
Because it only points to damnation. And so herein lies an important clarity. I gave it to you a number of months ago. I'll give it to you again. A heresy is a false belief, a false doctrine that goes against Scripture, usually leading to destruction or damnation. It's false against fundamental doctrine. It leads to another gospel. Whereas error is false belief or doctrine that goes against Scripture, not in leading to destruction. People can, can err in their understanding of different Scriptures, different, different things that are not fundamental. But heresy is such an error or an offense to God that it causes someone to believe in another God or another gospel. It's error that means a person is not saved. Or they do not belong to God. Or as John will say in today's passage, they do not have the Spirit of God. There's a lot of people out there or around you that are like, who, who are you to talk like this? And I just want to continue to point you to the fact that this is the way God's Word speaks all the time about these things. Much of a washed out church has just efforted to push it off. And many quote-unquote Christians are of the belief that all this is not okay to speak in these ways. We just put hippie love on and hug everyone and we make it all good. And that's not the way the truth of God works. Why is this important? Why, Why spend so much time going over this again today? Why does John circle back to this again and again in his letter? Why is it important that we identify and avoid and warn of heresies? Because of their level of destruction. Because it's a matter of life and death. Because if we really love the people we say we do, we don't play light with things that damn them to hell. That's why. You're either promoting life through biblical truth or you're promoting death through man-made heresy. This is why it's damnable and falsehood that leads people to destruction. I say all this because the heresy or error of misbelief that Jesus is not eternally God the Son or that He didn't incarnate and fulfill the work of the promised Messiah is not defective theology it's diabolical theology it's of the devil John will poignantly say this in his second letter we'll get to that later 2nd John 7 for many deceivers have gone out into the world those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist there it is again We're going to be back to this again. Because we need it. Because we we need to be more tuned into it than we are. Church, we're at war. I, I hope you know that. On the world stage, we're watching war happen in in a fresh way that we have not seen in a while. And it 
can be kind of scary and sad and dark. Bombs blowing up cities, people. But please don't be naive to think that we're not at war. We're at war in ways and in layers and, and in depths that are bigger than body parts separating from each other. What we're dealing with in spiritual war is about eternal damnation or eternal life. Oh, church, I pray we have a biblical vigor for these things. Satan doesn't want people to repent and trust in Jesus for salvation. He wants churches and teachers to teach heresy, to succeed. He wants them to succeed. Why? Because it leads people and large groups of people astray and away from the true gospel that saves. Our enemy's aim is to convince anyone who he can take captive to trust in lies and false teaching instead of the one who saves people from their sin unto eternal life with God, Jesus Christ himself. Amen? So so what do we do then if so many deceivers, false teachers, heretics are out there and all around? Well, John tells us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. After warning the beloved to not believe every spirit, that is, every spokesperson who claims to have and know the truth, he goes on to say how we can know if they can be trusted or not. How do I know then? We are to test them. We are to test what they are saying against the truths of God. That we would take this serious. The scriptures call for a a practice, a discipline of testing things all the time. I'm going to give you just a few scripture references to, to point you to this. We're to test ourselves, church. Galatians 6, 3 and 4. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. That's a serious place to be. To think you're something. To be puffed up with pride, self-righteousness. But let each one test his own work. Potential deacons are to be tested. 1 Timothy 3.10. Let them also be tested first. That they pass the test. And then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Church, we're to test everything. Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 5.21, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good. That kind of feels like a lot. But it is. When I rightly recognize how much we really are at war, how much we live in the enemy's territory and the lies and the deceptions are all around in every ad, in every 
in every movie claimed to have innocence under a Disney label, in, in every sporting gathering, in every little thing that we just think, surely this is not a form of deception. It's all over. Lies being told to you where you would get your identity, where you would get your hope, where you would get your security, where you would get your joy. Shouting for you to cling to idolatry instead of to cling to Christ alone. We are to test everything against the truth of Holy Scripture. Acts 17.11 The Bereans received the word with all eagerness, examining the Scriptures daily to see if these things were so. I love it when you guys are faithful to test what's being said from this pulpit. You should. You should. There should be, according to Scripture, a lot of sweet deference and trust you have in proven, accountable, qualified shepherds. But that doesn't mean you are to stop testing us. Holding up. What was said? Is this biblical? Or is this an idea of a kid who grew up in Southern California and he just likes it? Listen to John's words here in 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. We are to test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Look closer with me at the words from God right there. The Greek translation for the word from, the word we have in English there, from, in the Greek is the word of. We are to test the spirits to see whether they are of God. I think this is important because John is not trying to speak as much of those particular prophets' physical origin. All things are from God. No, but to whom they actively belong is the emphasis. Do they belong to God or do they belong to the devil? The phrase of God occurs 16 times within 12 verses of this first letter of John most of which are still to come in our study. I believe seven of which we've seen so far. Let me show you those two points of Scripture where we've seen this used again and again. 1 John 3, 9 and 10, No one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. By this it is evident who are the children of God. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. And then in today's passage, we've seen uh, a few more when we rightly understand the Greek. 1 John 4, 1-3, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from, of God. 
For many prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not of God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming and is now in the world already. A theologian, commentator, writer, Robert Yarborough says it like this. True Christological confession and love are likewise of God. God's love, true confession about Christ, the actual Christ, is only of God. The rest of his quote, This same quality is, however, lacking where sin is dominant, and particularly apparent Christian Christological confession prevails. In other words, if one proves to be given to sin, they're dead in sin, they're unrepentant in their sin, or to have heresy in their belief about Christ, they are not of God. They are not belonging to Him. So when we test someone, that is to hold up what they're proclaiming, what they're saying against Scripture, we are to test them against the historic, orthodox, fundamental truths of the Christian faith. We're testing whether or not their testimony is credible. We're testing most specifically that they are indeed of God. Or they are only posing to represent Him and His truths. Understand, if one is posing to represent Him and His truths, they likely don't know that they're posing. I think many of us get tripped up there because we're looking at someone who's espousing or promoting false doctrine and they look back at you like, I love Jesus. Why? Why don't they know? Because they're deceived. That's why. What this also means is you're pointing out that they're representing falsehood or heresy will likely be very offensive to them. I'm just saying. Church, we are to test the spirits so that we are not taken captive by them or their deception. This is to protect ourselves. This is to protect the church. It is most serious. Now, while it is surely a central role for your shepherds, made very clear in Scripture, I want you to see today that testing the spirits is given not just to us. It's given to who? The beloved. That means you too. We take this seriously because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Practically what this means is just because something has the label Christian, just, something, just because something is from a Christian bookstore or a Christian television network or a church or a Christian school, 
doesn't mean it can be trusted. You are to test it. But pastor, that seems like it's going to take a lot of time for me to go through the the curriculum my kids are being taught or to vet every book before I read it. Yeah. That's okay. It's that serious. Don't play light with it, Christian. Take the time. Do the work. Ask the questions. Before we move on, I want to clarify something Scripture speaks to. It's very important. When we test others, we must do this with righteous judgment. Jesus said in Matthew 7.24, Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. This means... We should not test others with our own preferences or opinions, but with the truths of God. The judgment we use must be His truth. They must pass the test of what is true and what is not. They do not need to pass our our homemade test that we have created based on our flesh based on appearances you know that thing that we're all guilty of at different times where we wrongly unrighteously judge another based on something we see on the outside we don't know we must be so careful to not level people with judgment in regards to our preferences. For there is much room for Christian liberty and diversity in how one walks in the truths of God and lives their days for the Lord. It's interesting because I've watched people who who over the years, they really want and love the idea of diversity at the same time they want and love the idea of everyone being and looking and acting like them. This is a real thing our flesh does. We've got we to be aware of it. We've got to be accountable to each other. We need to invite each other in. Hey, will you watch for how I'm doing this? Will you love me enough to check me here? When you're testing someone, and they say, why are you judging me? You need to know that this is good and right to do. To test the spirits for truth which belongs to God alone. I mean, maybe one of the, one of the if not the most misquoted verse in, Bible, in the Bible is Jesus' words in Matthew 7, 1, when he says, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. Uh, So many Christians do not understand what this is saying. So many Christians have bought into the Christianese of what they have been told this is saying. And I don't have time to to do a whole sermon on this. Surely we will further moving forward. We are to judge rightly. Right? Right? 
We don't need to be the judge for unbelievers. Why? Because they have a judge. They sit under judgment. We are to judge within the church. Those, everyone who claims Christ is the church. Someone doesn't get to go, oh, you're not at my church. No, 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 no. You're part of the church. If you claim Jesus, then you're in the bucket to be judged according to Scripture. To be judged rightly, to be judged righteously. In this passage in Matthew 7, 1, when he says, Do not judge, you too will be judged. He's critiquing and speaking against the unrighteous judgment that sinful man lays on other men that is based on the flesh, on personal opinion, on preference, or sinful, unneeded critiques of others. But let's be clear, very clear. God's Word calls us to judge with righteous judgment. That is with the truth of God. This is something we are to do, and we are to do it well. And we are to do it faithfully. We're to do it accountably, right? I think one of your great protections against your flesh rearing up to do this in an unbiblical way is to get too far out on your own. Christ saved you, church. I keep reminding you of this. Into the body. Live in the body. You are sheep who God has required that have shepherds. You are a part of a body. Don't be a right elbow bone who thinks, I can do all this on my own. No, you flip and flop on the ground as a right elbow bone by yourself. You need the rest of the body. There's a bone in your elbow, right? Cartilage? My fellow elders rebuking me. I don't know why they just like... All right, well, well, let's readdress that later, brother. Thank you. Correct me. Beloved, this is a work we don't need to put off. We need to test the spirits. There's simply too much at stake. The enemy does not slow down his pursuit of deception and lies in an effort to try to thwart the work of Christ and his beloved. Go back to Ephesians 6 and go to our website. I preach through that thoroughly. Important words of Paul to put on the armor of God to recognize the spiritual battle we're in the middle of. All right, we've looked over verse 1 and verse 3. Let's take a closer look at verse 2 as we begin to wind things down. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. First, who is the Spirit of God? It is God, the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Holy Godhead. The one who is equal and eternal with God the Father and God the Son. God's Word is clear to say that in no way is God the Holy Spirit second class in the Godhead. Instead, the Holy Spirit of God is essential Consider Romans 8, 9. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. It is those who possess the Spirit, who confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, who are of God. Again, I don't have time to get into all this, but we are dead in our sin, from our federal head, original sin from Adam. We confirm to practice sin in our 
enslavement to sin and our spiritual depravity. So we must be made alive. Scripture calls it being born again. That happens by the work of the Spirit of God. To awaken what is dead. To bring it to life so that now we see the beauty of the gospel. We see the depth of our sin. So we confess our sin. We trust our lives to Jesus and live for Him the rest of our days. We're spiritually awakened in our salvation. The Spirit of God comes on board to do a mighty, mighty work. Who is the Spirit of God? Let me just give you a couple quick reminders that we rejoice and be all much more aware and, and full of praise for the work of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is the sealer of our salvation, as I just spoke of. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22. It is God who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us and who has put His seal on us and given us His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. If you remember, John, uh, Paul spoke this way in his letter in Ephesians 1, 13-14. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. It's the sealer of our salvation. The Spirit of God is the revealer of truth. Jesus calls Him the Spirit of truth in John 14, 17. John 14, 26, a few verses later, Jesus says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in My name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Later, Jesus will tell His disciples in John 16, 13, the Spirit of truth will guide you into all truth. In this, the Holy Spirit's critical work in revealing to our minds the whole counsel of God as it relates to worship, doctrine, Christian living according to the Word of God. Right? We talked about that. The Spirit will never reveal, never encourage, never press you in any direction that's contrary with the Spirit's Word, with God's Word. Spirit of God is the ultimate guide going before us, leading the way, removing obstructions, opening our understanding and making all things plain and clear. Praise God. John says in 1 John 4, 2, by this we know the Spirit of God. By what? He says, by this we know. By what? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You don't, you won't, confess that truly and fully that Jesus is Savior and Lord unless God has given you new birth unless the Spirit is on board unless you know Him all those who profess declare that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh or of God Jesus' emphasis here is not to say you just have to believe in that one point of doctrine He's, he's bringing emphasis to that because that was one of the main doctrines the false teachers were lying about. But in our reading of this, we must see that it is an essential leg of the doctrine, the fundamental doctrine of Christ, of the gospel. John's emphasis on this critical point of critical doctrine is the doctrine of the incarnation of Christ. That the eternal God the Son 
took on flesh. Quickly, what is the incarnation of Jesus? Gospel of John, chapter 114, said so well, the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. God the Son took on human form, took on a human nature. This is the fundamental and essential doctrine of the Incarnation. That we celebrate and study every Christmas. It is truly good news, church, that He who is eternally invisible became visible. Understand that the Incarnation does not mean that God dwelt in a man, but that God became man. He became what He was not previously, though He never ceased to be all that He was before. God the Son, Jesus Christ, put on flesh, added a human nature to His divine nature. The fact that Jesus is fully God and became fully man is so important to our salvation and His redemptive work as the Messiah because He had to be like us in every way to be our representative and had to be without sin to be the only worthy atonement for our eternal standing with God. Hebrews 2.17, Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. To deny the incarnation is to deny the gospel itself. It's to deny Christ himself and his very ability to save sinners according to Scripture. God's word is clear. Salvation can only happen through Jesus Christ. Acts 4.12 There is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 14.6 Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way. Some have said that's a pretty arrogant thing to say. And I just like to remind them that's not me saying it, that's Jesus saying it. Coexist. Lame. It actually works really well. You just get rid of the T. It does all coexist as false roads to salvation. The T representing Christ, who is the only way, doesn't coexist with false religions, false doctrines, false gospels. That's the lie and deception of a lost world. The motorcycle rally I was at recently, a guy had one of those on made of guns, so he's like a tough guy representing the coexist movement. I nudged my brother. I said, we could just go fight. We're going we're, we're to go tell that guy that it's wrong. We'd take the T off of it. I was, I was being silly. 
But it's true. It's true. It's deception. It's lies. It's manipulation of a world that, that wants to deny that Christ is the only way. Take the tea off of there. It makes sense. I, I pray if, if you are at war with that idea, if you're at war with that understanding, you, you're not saved. You're dead in your sin. Jesus is the only way. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I pray if you're not yet reconciled to God by trusting your life to Jesus, who is the only Savior and worthy Lord, that you will. I pray that it is God's amazing grace to save you from your sin and adopt you into His eternal family. If this is you today, share it with us, as we want nothing more than to celebrate with you and to walk with you in your new faith in Christ. Repent and believe and be saved. 1 John 4, 2, By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. You know the Spirit of God by confessing Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. The emphasis here is on proper confession or belief into Christ. Please understand, it is not enough just to claim the name of Jesus, for many have done so and not truly believed into Him, or given themselves to Him. The confession is belief into Christ. It is obedience to Him as Lord of your life. Jesus said clearly in Matthew 7, 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, not everyone who confesses out loud, Jesus is Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Does that mean you have to add works to be saved? No, that's not what he's saying. It means if that confession that Jesus is Lord really means Jesus is Lord, you will obey him as Lord. That's what it means. You won't just have a superficial faith confession without transformation. True confession is not words only, but life transformation. That is the work of God. When someone simply confesses Jesus as Lord, that verbal announcement is not what John is meaning here. It's fuller. The scriptures say the person who confesses Jesus as Lord unto salvation means that Jesus is truly and always the Lord of their life. It means their confession is the orthodox biblical fundamentals of the Christian faith. Not in another gospel. Not something else that deceivers have promoted. You can think of it like this. The saving faith that God gives the elect, those whom He's chosen to save, and is indeed saving, is faith in God's truth and not in man-made lies. I love Paul's encouragement for Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.12. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In all 
of this proper confession in Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ are the ones who are of God. So I ask you this morning in closing, what is your confession regarding who Jesus is? Is and is to you. Matthew 16, 13 through 16, Jesus asked this most important question to the disciples. Who, who do people say the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others say Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. Jesus said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And so I ask you, beloved church family, old and young, who do you say? What is your testimony? What is your conviction? What does your life say about who Jesus is? Is he your Savior and your Lord? I pray this is your true confession. Believing in Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, is the only way to be saved. Church, may we test the spirits. May we be, may it be God's good will to cause many to confess Jesus Christ as Lord on this day. Will you join me in praying for that today? And in the days to come, if He so wills it. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this time together to study your good word, to sing and exalt your holy name, to, to pray to you, the Father, through the mediator, the Son, by the power of the Holy Spirit. You have done an amazing thing in your grace to save us undeserving sinners, to new life, to seal us with the Spirit, to, to move us unto growing sanctification and holiness and obedience, to make war with our flesh and to, to growingly look more like Christ and live for your glory. Where that work is happening, I praise you. And, I, and I, where it needs to go to work, I, I pray that you would do that to bring conviction. Lord, keep us humble. We can get really caught up in our own stuff, in our own perspective. We can get really quick to want to make a lot of noise. and, hit, but, but that we'd be humble, that, that the truth would reveal itself, that your word would, would illuminate truth as we test others, as we test ourselves. We walk in truth. Be glorified in us, in this song, in our going, in our serving today, our meeting breaking bread with one another. Be glorified in us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray.